0: It all comes down to this the one thing. Awesome. Everybody good? Y'all relaxed? Sitting back, just comfortable in church. I have a conviction that everyone at church should just feel relaxed and comfortable. Tension should just, it should go away. It should be eliminated, which is why this morning we're going to talk about sex. <laughs> <laughs> Some of you are like, are you kidding me? The sex talk right now? I'm like, yeah, 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 That's actually where we're going. We're in a series called The One Thing, and we're in chapter seven. And don't you wish you could just sometimes skip over parts of the Bible because it's a little bit awkward? Well, you can't, and that's why we're going to cover it. So... um. And I know some of you are like, man, I've been praying for weeks and months and I finally invited a friend and they're here today and this is what we're doing. Um, We're going to make it through. We're going to be okay. And I'm willing to bet that if you're new and if you're that friend that um, was brought here to church, that sex is actually a part of your life. So it will be relevant, it will be applicable. Um, I do wanna say this as we go, um, this is not going it's gonna be very appropriate. We're not gonna say um, anything wild or crazy, but I do wanna say this. Um, if you've got kids in the room, we have age-appropriate classrooms, and if you feel more comfortable with that, um, by all means, stand on up. You can exit quietly, and no one's gonna look and point or anything like that. But um, if you'd feel more comfortable, we got, we got classrooms over here and also in the other building for older kids as well. Just want to throw that out there. Now that the room is full of tension and curiosity and going, oh dear Lord, where are we going and what are we doing? Um, Let's dive in. (laughs) How's that for an intro, huh? So um, I do want to say this before we jump in, because you got to lay like, you got to lay the the groundwork and and a foundation that we can then jump off of. So um, I have, I really do have a conviction that nothing in nothing should be off limits when it comes to the church and the conversations that we have. I believe that if you can't talk about it in the church, people are gonna go somewhere else and they're gonna find answers. And the problem that I have with that, and I think you do as well, is that we read the scriptures and we go, okay, we we know God, we know the creator of heaven and earth. And this creator has given us wisdom and information on how best to live life here on earth. It would be foolish for us not to talk about everything, because God has a response to everything because he has created it. And so let's use sex for an example. Sex is not taboo, it is good, God created it, it is a powerful thing, and it belongs in a certain, um, I wanna say restrictions or box or category. Uh, There are right ways to go about doing this, and there are not right ways to go about doing it. There are healthy ways to do this and not healthy ways of doing this. Think of like nuclear energy. You have it in a reactor, and it's good, and it powers a city. Take that same energy, put it in a bomb. There's a healthy way, a better way, and there's a destructive way to go about it. And so that, that's what we're going to look at today. But honestly, and this is so important, maybe not for some of us who are older and we've grown up in the church and we've heard all these talks. Maybe if you're new at this, I promise you, this is incredibly important. And for those that have been walking with Jesus for a long reason or for a long time, here's the reason why this is so important. It's because we have God's wisdom and God created it. And so God knows how best to get the most out of it. If we don't talk about it at church, from the stage, in small groups, in other areas, people will pull out their phones and they will go looking for secular answers to a spiritual thing God has created. That sounds like a recipe for foolishness, if you ask me. So we're going to open up the good book. We're going to read through it. We're going to go through the whole chapter. There are 40 verses in this chapter. We're going to cover all 40 of them. Because it is my personal uh, pet peeve, and I'm up here talking, so I get to lean into that. Sorry. But it's my pet peeve when you sit there and you you talk about this massive category called sex, and we just spend one Sunday on marriage. And then for people who are single, we're like, sorry, you just got to read the rest on your own. And, oh, yeah, if if you're divorced or if you're divorced and remarried, you got to read the rest on your own. And um, I think, well, it covers the whole thing. So we're not going to make you come back and do things on your own. We're just going to take care of it all in one Sunday morning. We're going to solve and correct and fix and make sure everyone has the best sex life in about 25 minutes. <laughs> and you don't even have to pay for this. This is all free. This is incredible. So um, that's kind of the big idea is that, is that Christians or the Bible or God ought to be the experts when it comes to sex, not the world. Listen, when your sex is limited to just tips and tricks, you are no expert. It's so much more than just a physical thing. It is a spiritual thing. It is a whole human experience. It's not just a physical transaction. And so the world will offer you, here's tips, here's tricks, do this, do that, and then you'll have a spicy or fulfilling sex life. And I'm sorry, that's not the whole, the whole picture. And so we're gonna talk about this thing. So if you got a Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter seven. 1 Corinthians chapter seven. And as you're turning there, here's kind of the, really the rules of the road um, if you ever thought Paul, who wrote this letter, has ADD or ADHD, he is all over the place. He's talking about married people, and then the next verse, it's single people, and then back to married, and then divorce, and then all of it, he's like, I, let's talk about Jesus all in the middle of it. He goes all over the map. So what we're going to do, I'm gonna read, we're going to read through this thing. We're going to talk about the first section on marriage, then we're going to go through the rest of the chapter, and we'll hit every other category at the very end. This is like a class, not like a sermon. So grab your notes, seriously. Pull out your phone, grab your notes. There will be a ton of writing. Your fingers or thumbs will hurt really bad. But this is very biblical. It's very appropriate because the number one issue in our world today is all things sex. It has been for, excuse me, for a very long time. I think it will continue to be. So as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, as we gather in the church, we have to know what the Bible is teaching us. 1 Corinthians chapter seven, you there? You ready? (laughs) Just Kurt. Kurt's like, I'm ready. You and me, Kurt. Here we go. We're gonna make it happen. (laughs) So we spent six chapters in Paul saying, hey, your life is is disorganized. Your church is not unified. You need to come together and realize that we are all sinners and we're all in need of a savior and that savior's name is Jesus Christ. We're gonna unify around that. This church in Corinth has also been writing letters to Paul. They wrote one and said, what do we do with all things sex? Because you need to know in Corinth, it is Vegas on steroids. It is all things sex, 100 miles an hour, go, 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 go. That is just the way of life. And so they have a lot of questions. In chapter 7, Paul addresses those questions. So here we go. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Are you excited? Yes. <laughs> Well, hey, here we go. Time's ticking away, so we gotta go. Um, Now, for the matters you wrote about, and he's quoting their letter, he says, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And everyone went, I'm not sure if I agree with that. (laughs) Remember, they're writing this. They're saying, in light of all the persecution that is happening, in light of the fact that we are disorganized, in light of the fact that our society is so rampant and running wild with all things sex, should we just not have it at all? That's what they're asking. And so Paul says in verse two, he says, listen, listen, it's good that you don't have sexual relations with a woman. Verse two, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. Just take notes mentally. I think it's interesting that Paul has to clarify for them, hey, when you're married, only have sex with your spouse, no one else's. That should give us insight to how bad it is there. So now, go, now Paul goes into instructions, verse three. The husband should, should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body but yields it to his wife. And if you ever wondered what my life verse is, it's right there. Okay, we won't use that in the next verse or the next service, trying to ease the tension, you know what I mean? Like, just trying to relax a little bit. Okay. That is a funny joke, though. (laughs) Verse five, he says, do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer, then come back together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of (sighs) self-control. We won't camp out on it, but there's so much there where, that we could talk about. It's the idea that, that spouses are not having sex, they're not their needs are not being met, they're not being fulfilled by one another sexually. And so Paul's saying, hey, you actually, you need to do this. This is part of what it means to be married. It is a vital part of what it means to be married. And he says, only, you, only if it's mutual do you decide not to, and you devote yourselves to prayer so that Satan can't take advantage of it. And to use this verse and tweak it and weaponize it people would often say, well, it says there that you're supposed to do this and you're not doing this so Satan got a hold of me so I went and had my sexual needs met somewhere else. That's not what this is saying. Not one bit. You cannot weaponize it and make it say what it is not saying. It is mutual consent that we are not having sex for a moment for prayer. Because Paul's writing to a congregation, to a community that is sexually charged. Their whole culture inside and outside the church is all things sex. It is rampant. And he's saying, this needs to be a vital part of your life, of your marriage. And so figure it out. Get on the same page when it comes to this. And don't use the excuse that Satan got a foothold here and and justify going out and finding your sexual desires being fulfilled somewhere else. That is not what it's saying at all. So let me give you a couple notes. Oh, I'm sorry, verse six, and then a couple notes on marriage. Verse six, I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am. He's single. But each of you has your own gift. Circle, highlight, underline that, gift from God. One has this gift, there it is again, and another has that. So here we go, advice to married Christian couples. Married Christian couples, here's the advice. Number one, he's saying this, regular intimacy is an important part of your marriage. I talked about it briefly, but it is an important part of your marriage. Intimacy is an important part of your marriage. Can I say it one more time? It's an important part of your marriage. You have to treat it as such because it's an important part of your marriage. Sex is kind of like a thermometer. It will tell you the temperature. It will tell you how hot or how cold your relationship is. And notice the keyword is regular. You decide what regular is. There is no specific number because every married couple is different. How many times a week? How many times a day? It's up to you and what you guys decide. At You laugh at that one. Okay. <laughs> Can't win, Kurt. I don't know, man. Hey, here we go. Uh, number two in your notes. When we deny intimacy, we are cheating the marriage. When we deny intimacy, we are cheating the marriage. To be married is to be intimate with one another because you love one another. What you're saying, you're saying a lot of things when it comes to love, but what you're saying in your marriage is only you. I have eyes for you, only you, and my sexual desire will only be for you, and your sexual desire will only be for me. How beautiful is that? It is a promise. It is a vow to one another. And, that, and we look at each other eye to eye and we, we say that and we say it in front of people that we love. We, we say this in front of God. And it is only for each other. And then what happens is a little bit of life happens or disagreement or resentment or frustration or whatever word you want to say and then married couples stop having sex as frequently as they once did. And so the, we end up denying one another And it's cheating the marriage because you can't go anywhere else to get it fulfilled because the promise is that it is fulfilled inside the marriage. So we have to work on this. This has to be a regular thing and we have to have the awkward conversations. Here's what will help us as we realize that sex, well, that we can deny people intimacy and the damage that it does in our marriage. Here's the cure to fix it. Are you ready? Three people, okay. Number three, (laughs) submission is mutual. Submission is mutual. I have in your notes Ephesians 5, verse 21 through 33. If there was ever a passage that has been weaponized in marriage and all things sex, this is it. And Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, the letter we're walking through, he also wrote this. What happens is people camp out on the verse 22 where it says husbands submit to wives and all the guys are like, yeah. That's not at all what he's saying. Or wives submit to your husbands, thank you. (laughs) Flip-flop. And that's not it. You have to read the verse in front of it where it says, Husbands and wives mutually submit to one another. It's this idea that I will put your needs ahead of me. And then that will be reciprocated. And then listen, if I'm putting your needs ahead of mine and you're putting my needs ahead of yours, we are serving one another, aren't we? It creates this cycle of serving, of blessing the other person, of putting their needs above them. Now you read the rest of the passage, and this is fascinating because wives, and I totally understand because I've had lengthy conversations with mine about this passage. It is not just related to sex, but clearly sex falls under this category. And so we talk about this idea of mutual submission to one another and wives submitting to their husbands. And it's like, yeah, but I don't think it says I have to do whatever you tell me to do whenever you tell me to do it. And I'm like, you're right. That's not at all what it says. And she says, by the way, Steve, we need to read the rest of that passage. And I say, what's in the rest of the passage? And she says, read it. And it says, husbands, we are to love our wives like Christ loved the church. Now, if you're, if you're in, intuitive about this, you realize that Christ loved the church because he served the church. This conversation I have with my spouse, with my wife, Darcy, is, you know we're just sharing life. And so she says, okay, keep reading. What, what, what else did Christ do for the church? He sacrificed for the church, okay? So he serves the church, he sacrificed for the church. What did he sacrifice for the church? His life. That's the standard for men in marriage. Now, I'm told, just conversation with my wife, but maybe this applies to you ladies as well. If your husbands are sacrificing their life, their hopes, dreams, and desires, and serving you the way that Christ does, Would it be easier to submit and go along with some of the suggestions and timings that your husband mentions? Would it be easier? I think it would. Husbands in the room, did you hear it? You can't hear it online, but trust me, they said it. But this is mutual, it is a mutual submission. So when someone says, hey, you know, I'm in the mood, what do you think? It's like, yeah, let's go. Also, when someone says, hey, I'm in the mood, and they go, not tonight, you go, okay, okay because we are mutually submitting to one another. And we can't keep score on this either, can we? You can't do it, because that's not a loving thing to do. You can't keep score, well, I did this, and then you did this, and I asked these and you said this. You can't do that, that's not loving. To go and serve and love people the way Christ did, is is he keeping score? He's just sitting there going, I love you and I know you're gonna fall short. I love you and I know you're gonna fall short. That's the type of love we are to have with one another. I love you even though you denied. I love you even though you said no. I love you even though you have a headache. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. I will serve you consistently and faithfully just like Christ. That's the standard. And it makes submission much more simple. Okay, verse eight, keep going. Now, to the unmarried and the widows, I say this. So he's gone from married now to unmarried and windows. He says, "'It is good for them to stay unmarried as I did, "'but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, "'for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. "'To the married I give this command,' and he says this, "'Not I, but the Lord. "'A wife must not separate from her husband.'" But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband must not divorce his wife. Still in your notes, under marriage for Christian couples. The next one, stay together even if the relationship is rocky. That's what he's saying. Stay together even if the relationship is rocky. Well, why? To fix it, to make it less rocky, to continue to love one another. Again, the idea that Jesus, when we start sinning, doesn't go, ah, and just walks away. He stays together He still loves us. He still wants a relationship with us. He's still loving us. Same thing in marriage. Stay together even if it's rocky. Keep going. There is hope. And you're like, yes, our marriage is dead. I'm telling you, we worship a God who specializes in resurrecting dead things. There is hope for you and your marriage. Next one in your notes. Don't leave and remarry. Don't leave and remarry. You're like, okay, what if I already have? We'll cover it at the end, because he talks about it. Next one in your notes, this is important. What the text is not saying. What the text is not saying. It's not saying get married just for sex. You have a strong sex drive and you're just looking for a spouse and a partner, great, let's go get married, your marriage will not last. It has to be built on more than just sex. He's also not saying this, our desires are more important than our spouse's comfort zone. He's not saying that. And he's also not saying marriages without sex are dead. I'm using the word sex a lot, but also the word intimacy. Sex is a part of intimacy, but not the fullness of intimacy. You can have a very intimate relationship with someone and not have sex with them. And there are many reasons why people aren't able to go and have sex with one another, but they can still have an intimate marriage. So if you're unable to have sex in your marriage, he's not saying your marriage is dead. You can, you can certainly have an intimate relationship with one another. Okay, verse 12. You get the idea that this is gonna be like a study. I'm gonna hit you with a lot of notes and you're, you're gonna have awkward conversations at lunch today and hopefully throughout the rest of the week because scripture is meant to be read in community and meant to be worked out and applied in community and we are doing that this morning. So here we go, verse 12. To the rest, I say this. And he says, I'm saying this, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she's willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, he must not divorce him. Sorry, she must not divorce him. Verse 14, for the unbelieving husband has been sanctified, which is a great church word meaning set apart, he's been sanctified through his wife. And the unbelieving wife has been sanctified, church word, set apart, through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. Another word, meaning set apart. If you've grown up in church, you might've heard the phrase, a hedge of protection. That principle, that idea is what Paul is talking about here. There's something to be said when a Christian walks into a room, there is a spiritual blessing, there is a protection, there's a set apartness, a holiness, if you will, that happens simply because light has entered darkness. It's one of those spiritual blessings and one of those beautiful things that God does with Christians. All throughout scripture, you'll see this illusion or this example of you have light and you have darkness. You have light and you have darkness. And when light enters darkness, there's hope, there's beauty, there's blessing. What Paul is saying is if you are married and you have a family and no one knows Jesus except for you, stay in that marriage because your family benefits spiritually. There is a hedge of protection, if you will. There is a blessing that happens because you are bringing the Holy Spirit in the midst of your family. Verse 15, but if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in, everyone say that word. Oh, come on, everybody say that word. God has called us to live in peace. Peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned them, just as God calls them. This is the rule I, this is Paul, lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not be uncircumcised, which sounds like a challenging procedure. I'm not sure how that works. Sorry. It's in the Bible, you know? Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's command is what counts. Circle, highlight, underline that in your Bible. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were when God called them. So if you, if you uh, got married and you, both of you, husband and wife, you did not know Jesus, and then one of you knows Jesus. The Corinthians were writing, and they're saying, do we need to get a divorce and only marry other Jesus followers? Paul is saying, no, stay in the situation you were. Again, light into darkness, light into darkness. Stay the course. Bless your marriage, because you know Jesus. And then he's also saying, hey, um, you're witnessing You have the most intimate relationship you can have with another human being and you're gonna tell them and show them who Jesus is and his love for them. What a beautiful thing. He says, this extends to social and economic levels. Verse 21, he says this, were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although you can gain your freedom, do so, which makes perfect sense. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were when, they, or when God called them. Again, it's this idea of bloom where you are planted. Wherever you are, going outside of marriage as well, wherever you are, be a Jesus follower. Don't change your situations, your circumstances in life. And Paul says, if you can't change them for the better, Why not? Like, go for it, of course. But bloom where you're planted. Wherever you are in life, if you're married, if you're single, if you're divorced, if you're divorced and remarried, wherever you find yourself in life, bloom where you are planted. Be a Christ follower there because you will bring hope. You will bring God's love to the people that you are with. Now he's gonna move to the unmarried. Here we go, verse 25. Are you still with me? We're we're making it. The end is in sight. He says, now about virgins. I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one, who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis. Now, apparently there's a crisis going on in Corinth. Many, many, many scholars believe there's a persecution that is breaking out. And Paul is concerned that the freedom they have in sharing the gospel, that is shrinking very, very quickly. And so he says, in light of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released from it. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you of this. How many of you, you're married, you love your marriage, raise your hand. If you don't raise your hand, you're in trouble. <laughs> How many of you who raised your hand also say, hey, sometimes you um, encounter some troubles in the marriage? I know, I'm, so, I'm making you be honest in church. Like what a horrible thing to do, Right? There is a certain freedom that single people have because their devotion to God is, is singular. And then when you get married and then it puts some kids on top of that, your devotion, your attention, your focus is now shared, isn't it? Isn't it? That's what he's saying. There will be some troubles. And that's okay, you can overcome them, but there will be some troubles along the way. Now, here we go, verse 29. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. Again, that persecution, the freedom of sharing the gospel. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. And those who buy something as if it were, as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. He's saying time is short. Have your focus be on Jesus, not your marriage, then Jesus. Does this make sense? That's what he means when he's saying if you're married, don't be married. Like, he's, he's not saying get a divorce or anything like that. He's saying time is short, and because it's in short, we really need to make sure our priorities are in order. So if you have lots of possessions, that's great, but realize when you die, those things fade away. They are gone. And by the way, when you live, they get dirty. They get ruined. They get destroyed. Focus on Jesus in the present moment, then everything else. Jesus first, everything else. And in Corinth, they're going, sex first, church, what do we do with Jesus? And he's saying, no, 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 we have to correct this. Jesus first and always, then everything else. He says, look to the Lord, not the current situation or state that you are in. Look to the Lord in everything. Verse 32. I'd like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And he should be focused on that, by the way. He should be. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband, And she should. Both husbands and wives, when you get married, your concern, your focus should be on taking care of one another, but it needs primarily to be on Jesus. Verse 35. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you. You might want to circle, underline that, but that you may live in a right way, in undivided devotion. Circle, highlight that. That is massive to the Lord undivided devotion to the Lord. What Paul is saying is the state of life you're in, whether you're married, you're single, you're divorced, you're divorced and remarried, you're a widow, whatever situation you are in in life, You need to be fully devoted to Jesus because you're gonna have troubles in this life. You're gonna have difficulties in this life. There's a present crisis that is going on. It feels like here in America, turn on the news. There's always a present crisis, if not like 40 of them all at the same time. The idea is this, you fix your eyes on Jesus. You go there first and then everything else is second. Verse 36, we're almost there. We're almost there, you're doing great. He says this, if anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably towards the virgin he's engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who's under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. Verse 38, so Then he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think I too have the spirit of God. What he means by that last phrase, he says, as I'm writing this, I too think I believe that God is inspiring this letter that I'm sending you. Guys, we just did 40 verses. <laughs> There's a lot in there, isn't there? It's confusing, isn't it? That's why this sermon doesn't get wrapped up in a nice little bow. We have homework this week. It's the idea that we come to church, we open up the scriptures, we read them, we learn from them, and it challenges our way of life so we can walk closer and closer in the footsteps of Jesus. So I wanna give you a lot of notes. I'm not gonna expand a lot on these. We're simply gonna write, and we're gonna pray through these throughout the week as a community and figure out how best to navigate this life. So we already did the advice to marriage. Now we're gonna do the advice to singles. Number one, singleness is not just good, it's better than marriage, Singleness is not just good, it's better than marriage. Somewhere in the Christian church, this idea came in that if you are single, you are somehow second class, and that is not true. Paul's flipping that around. He's saying, if you are single, it is you and God. You are not distracted. You don't have these other obligations that your focus needs to be focused on. He says, it's you and God. It's good. It's better. You're not second class. He also says this, singleness is a gift. And God will give you what you need for your giftedness. He's not saying all singleness is a gift. I'm gonna be very clear. Singleness is a gift. And you will know if you have that gift because he will give you what you need for that gift. It doesn't mean, listen, marriages take a lot of work. They go through hard times. Singleness takes a lot of work. They go through hard times. It doesn't mean if you're single and you're experiencing a difficult time that that means you don't have that gift. It just means you have a difficult time. He also says this to singles. He says, get married if you want. Did you catch it in there? He's like, it's better that you not, but you know, if you want to, yeah, go ahead. You, you don't sin if you do, the, do these things. He also says this. Well, this is a bonus. I just want to give it to you. If you can't control your sexual urges, do the following. Find someone you can fall in love with. Someone needs to get a job so you can support each other. Get married. Have all the sex you want. Also, Um, if you can't control your urges, learn to control them. (laughs) The fruit of the spirit, that last one at the very end, if you know it, the last one on that list of nine is self-control. There is hope. You are supposed to be in control of your desires, not your desires in control with you. I'm telling you, this is rampant, not just in society, but in in our church. So if you're struggling with this, you need to fill out The Connect card, you need to send an email to me, to Pastor Kurt, to somebody. There are resources, there are tools that we can help. I'm telling you, there is hope in this. You can also work really hard to find that job, find that spouse, fall in love, and have as much sex as you want. I would suggest that you take care of those sexual urges before you get married, so those don't follow you into your marriage as well. Advice to spiritually mismatched couples. I don't mean um, that your your marriage is mismatched like one of you is amazing and the other one isn't. That's not what I'm saying. What I mean is one of you is Christian and one of you is not. That's what I mean, okay? Uh, He says this, stay together if you can. Stay together if you can. Live at peace with one another. We talked a lot about that light and darkness thing. The second one, it spiritually benefits your spouse and your kids, right? Again, light and darkness. The third one, if you're left, you're free to remarry and God will bless that marriage. He's that. Good, and that loving. Now, what about divorce and remarriage? What about this whole thing? This first point is so important. It's so important. And you can read it on your own. Malachi chapter two, verses 13 through 16. But it says this. um, God hates divorce, not divorced people. I wanna be incredibly clear on that. If you're divorced and you remarry, God is honoring and blessing that marriage. He wants you to stay in it. The reason God hates divorce is because of the damage that it does to human beings. I don't have a lot of time. Okay. We're going to let that just sit right there. I want to say this as well. If you are divorced and you have been remarried, please know that God loves you, this church loves you. You are not second class. As we go through this list and we're talking about sex, sex, I think every one of us, every single one of us has struggled with this. Why? Because we're sexual beings and there's so much shame wrapped around this idea. And I want to tell you, I'm not trying to belittle it, I'm just trying to raise up how great God's grace is. It's incredible. We ran through a huge list of if you're married, you need to do this. And you're like, shoot, I'm not doing those things. If you're single, you need to do this. And you're like, man, I am not doing that. And if you're divorced and remarried, you're like, I am not doing those things. either. I feel like God doesn't love me. And if you're spiritually mismatched, one of you is Christian and the other one is not. You're like, I don't even know if I can do these things. Can I tell you, even if you can't do those things, even if you will never be able to do those things, there's a God who loves you unconditionally. So regardless of what you do with those things, he loves you. And I want to end on that note. There is a God who loves you so, so much, regardless of what you have done or have not done sexually, with your spouse or without your spouse. There's a God who loves you. And we operate from his love. When we fully understand how much he loves us, it is so helpful and so encouraging and empowering to help us love other people. That is the goal. What Paul is writing to, he's writing to a community that's, and he's saying, you have lost your way. Your moral compass is gone, but I will help you find it. First, we need to be unified in Jesus. Then we will talk about how we live in Jesus' name. We have to be unified in Jesus first. So there's a lot that we covered. I just, I felt like we had to cover it all. I didn't want someone who's like, well, yeah, what about my situation? that there's good news for you. There's advice for you in there. I hope you're able to write really fast. And my prayer is that this week that you pull out these notes and you read through your scriptures and you pray with God, talk with your spouse, talk with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, and let's be the people of God who are pursuing Jesus and learning how best to love one another. But I'm telling you, you can't do that well if you don't know Jesus. So if you don't know Jesus, I wanna lead us in a simple prayer. The band's gonna come on up and we're gonna close by singing out a worship song, giving all glory and honor and praise to Jesus. And by the way, if, if you're one of those people where you read, you read the standards and the rules of how relationships are supposed to be and how you're supposed to handle your sexuality and you have broken one of those rules, I, I wanna lead you in a prayer as well. So would you bow your heads with me? And we're gonna spend some time before the Lord. God, before we go any further, if there's anyone in the room, if there's anyone streaming online with us, if there's anyone that's gonna watch this on a random Thursday, Lord, I pray that they, are, they know that they are fully and completely loved by you. You've forgiven them of all of their sins. Your grace is so good. And you love them regardless of all their sins, including the sexual ones. So if you're here this morning and you're with us and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to lead you in a very short prayer. You can repeat these words. You can make them your own. But simply go, Lord, I have missed the mark. I've sinned. I've lived life by what I thought was good, what I thought was loving, what I thought was right. And today I wanna come before you and say you are Lord of my life instead of me. Thank you for your unconditional love. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Today I choose to put my faith in you. I want to know your love for me so that I can share that with those around me. And if you're here with us this morning, whenever we talk about morality and go through lists in church, you get nervous because you've crossed those lines and you've sinned and you know God's standard. I wanna pray that you feel free from the shame and that when you come before God, when you wake up in the morning, you look at yourself in the mirror, know that you are fully, fully, and completely loved. You are a son and you are a daughter of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So God, for the people streaming online, people in this room, for all of us, Lord, we've all sinned in this area. I pray, Lord, that we would leave church today feeling lighter, that the shame that we have felt, we would place that at the cross. We would know that you unconditionally love us And Father, for married people, I pray that we would learn to love one another the way you love us. And for the single people that are a part of our church community, Lord, would they learn to love their community like you do. People that are divorced, they've been remarried for widows, Lord, I pray, I pray, Lord, that they would understand fully how much you love them and desire a relationship with them. Help them know, help all of us know that none of us, regardless of our sin, is second class in your kingdom. Father, I thank you so much for your goodness. Would you help us in this area? It is a struggle, I believe, for all of us. Give us freedom. We want to love each other well. We need your help, Father. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And the church said, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're gonna close by singing one last song.